words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This is the first Sunday in Lent, and so we begin with the great litany, the Anglican procession in pretzel form, as some of us say. And it's a long recitation of so many sins. The great litany named so many sins. When I was in the pews once, and it seemed to be getting longer, it's four pages in the prayer book, by the way, I, I, it seemed to just keep going on and on. And so I, I counted how many sins it named, and then I categorized them. Some sins are personal, some sins are societal, institutional, and there are many that are cross, that cross genres. They're both personal and institutional. So many sins. We say, sing, recite, walk the great litany the first Sunday in Lent to remember in many ways the beauty of the discipline of confession. We confess sin, we name them, name our sins, and claim our part in participating in them not to beat ourselves up for our unworthiness, not to wallow in them and say things will never change, not to find excuses, but we claim and name the sins in which we partake to begin healing, taking ownership, to begin healing into right relationship with God and with each other. The whole mission of the church, the whole reason we exist, is reconciliation with God and with one another. But if we wait to reconcile until we are all perfect, well, get comfortable. It's going to be a long wait. Reconciliation, confession, forgiveness is not about being perfect, but it's about beginning the healing to truthfulness and to restoration and to relationship. And with God, all things are possible. We name our part, we claim our part, we take responsibility for our part, and we give and we are given some grace in that confessing, in that naming, in that owning up. We name and claim sin, again, not to wallow in it, but to begin the process, the healing process of reconciliation which in fact is something that we participate in 
our entire lives. When our impulses override our ethics or our morals, when we give in to impulses that are hurtful and make ourselves and others miserable, when we sin, Jesus models something for us today in the gospel. When we sin, we are asked, we are supposed to, we are given a chance to trust that God still claims us. We are to trust in God and we are to trust in our identity as God's beloved. And I say that Jesus models this for us today because he trusts in God as the tempter tries to hold all kinds of power before him when he seems to be at his weakest. We learn to trust from Jesus in the gospel of the temptations of the wilderness because Jesus models trust. The story is not just about how strong Jesus is, how Jesus resisted, so we should too. That's not it. That's not all of it. Though Jesus is strong, and we should try to resist, what leaves me in awe when I sit with this scripture, with this story, what leaves me in awe and what sparks my aspirations towards goodness, what deepens my love for Christ, what I hear as good news is Jesus' trust in who he is, modeling that trust for us to know ourselves beloved and in that centeredness and in that trustingness and in our identity find the liberation to forgive and be forgiven. Jesus is God's son. And no matter what the tempter says, which he says twice explicitly, if you are God's son, you will do this. If you are God's son, you will do this. But Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't have to prove anything to the tempter. He is God's son. He knows it. No delicious, fresh bread smelling or carrying Superman wannabe emperor look-alike tempter will take Christ's identity away from him. And if we are faithful, even when we sin, we will know that no one, no tempter, can take away our belovedness. If I understand this right, Jesus wants us to trust who we are, to trust our own identity as beloved, so we don't have to prove how strong God is, how true God is, how worthy we are. We will know. And in that knowing, we will be strong. Our belovedness is enough. There are no quantities of belovedness 
for trade, for rent, to steal, or to accumulate. We are beloved by God. But we, we forget, we ignore, we betray, we sell out this love of God for us. When we deny our belovedness, we can try to deny our belovedness. We can belittle others. And we can break God's heart. We can and we do. I think of my own shortcomings just this week. And I've had to confess. I think of the Supreme Court's judgment in that case of the child who was shot dead on the border. And I flinched as we prayed for the Supreme Court. We can and we do break God's heart, both personally and our institutions. At our Shrove Tuesday Pancake, Pancake Supper, the day before Ash Wednesday, I was reminded of where the word Shrove comes from. It comes from an old English uh, word, and it's a verb to shrive someone is to hear acknowledgement of the person's sin, to affirm God's forgiveness, and to give appropriate spiritual advice. Besides using that word in the title for Shrove Tuesday, it survives in the expression short shrift. To give someone short shrift is to pay very little attention to his or her excuses or problems. But the Christian tradition is to shrive, not to give short shrift. We are to listen and ask for forgiveness. I personally have heard many confessions, and I've confessed many times. In our rite of reconciliation in the prayer book, also known as confession, the priest can say at the end, pray for me, a sinner. Having heard the confession of someone who knows that they have sinned and seeks absolution, we confess that we too are sinners. So lay and ordained, even when we dedicate our lives to spiritual health, we mess up, we give in, we lose our way, we take a bite of the apple, we jump, we want that bread, we make the power grab. first Sunday of Lent, we are reminded that whether in a lush garden or a vast desert, temptation finds us. And Jesus models a trust in God and who we are and our identity as beloved. We have to trust God, knowing ourselves beloved. And that knowing gives us strength to keep trusting in God and resisting the tempter in many ways. 
Caroline Lewis wrote that she suspects that many of us live and try to do life in that space between the assurance of faith, when we think we know, and when trusting God is the hardest thing we have ever done, when we really don't know. So tending your own Lent means that we are all in the wilderness together, in that pendulous state between certitude and suspicion, between truth and distrust, between identity and lostness, and with the good and steadfast company of Jesus and the angels of heaven, we have good company. We are all on pins and needles this week for many reasons. I've had so many conversations. This time in our life, in our country, in the life of the church, people are anxious about so many things. There is so much temptation and evil. We've already had our litany, so I won't repeat them now, not for lack of courage, but for mercy's sake. Thank you. <laughs> for mercy's sake. And that's what I want you to remember to go forward today. In the name of mercy, to claim and name your part in the sin to begin the healing process of reconciliation, to have courage and to have mercy, to be humble. Remember that no earthly achievement or lack of earthly achievement, no disobedience will take your belovedness away. God, the creator, redeemer, and giver of life, wants us to be in right relationship with God and with each other. This is the work of our lives. This is the work of our church. And in Lent, we make a special intention to start that work anew, wherever we have stopped it, wherever we had laid it down, or wherever we are wallowing in it. Amen. invite you to stand as able and say together a summary of our faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, 
Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. 